The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Went to a wedding last night. Ryan was there. Y'all need to get this guy to do some dance moves for you sometime. This guy, he was talking about that walk up. He calls it the walk up music. He always wants me to give a little bit more of a beat and a punch. I said, hold on, it's coming. You got to wait for it. Well, it's good to have you here this morning as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians and we come to chapter 14. And as we do, I want to ask you a question to think to yourself, just to kind of get you thinking on topic of what the text is on. Why are we here this morning? What's the whole point of this gathering and, and why we gather? Different churches have different ideas in mind. Um, I would say the most common cultural change or maybe the most uh, important thing to address that I see in our culture is it's kind of been a while now but a lot of people have gotten where they think that this, this gathering is all about outreach it's all about trying to gather and the main goal is that well let me ask you or let me get you thinking if if this is all about outreach all about uh, reaching someone think about the implication that has on what we're doing in here that if the primary goal is to reach an outsider or an unbeliever, then that would affect what we spend our time doing in here. Um, it might make us be more careful about, we certainly wouldn't want to sing about the fountain of blood from the veins of somebody, right? I mean, that's just like, wait, what? That's creepy. Unless you know what that means, and then it just does something completely different. It causes you to rejoice. But if your goal is strictly to reach an, uh, an unbeliever and you're going to then say, well, then we should do everything we can to make them feel comfortable and we want to have them in mind and it's going to change a lot about what you do. That's, that's not our goal primarily. I mean, we do want to reach people, but primarily, uh, if you're listening to uh, Granger's words and his prayer and what he was saying and what we were just doing, we are primarily here uh, as the redeemed people of God to worship our Redeemer, the people who have been saved, gathering together to celebrate and worship the one who has saved us. God has saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ, that it was the blood that God accepted as the acceptable sacrifice, the holy blood of Jesus, the holy body and blood of Jesus was acceptable as our sacrifice so that we could be set free from uh, condemnation of our sins. And so we gather together, we worship God, we celebrate that, and to worship God, we know him as he is revealed through the word, through the Bible. And so this is all about opening the scriptures and studying the scriptures, studying God as he's revealed in the scriptures, studying uh, God because as we know him, we fall great, more greatly in love with him and we worship him as we understand the good news of our salvation through Christ. Uh, we also see his expressions of his will for our lives in the scriptures and the way we worship God is by obeying that. And so we, we come in here and this is all about Jesus, but it's not just about emotions about Jesus. It's about Jesus as he's revealed in his scriptures. And so our songs are very deliberately and intentionally scripturally based. Um, our, our time spent here is primarily about what God has said to us in his word. And that is the reason I ask that is because that's what Paul goes to. And though it's, it's kind of sometimes thought as, well, that's not what this is about. This is all about tongues. 
Well, the issue of speaking in tongues was being addressed because Paul was saying, this is distracting us from the main issue, the main reason that we're here. And and so that's really what Paul is going to say today. He's going to say, when you gather together, this is what I want you to do. But his he's dealing with kind of the issue of his day, which was that the church was obsessed with this idea of speaking in tongues. And so our point is a little our I think our application is a little more a little different, but the point is being the same that we're going to see Paul make. Let me just ask the Lord to help us. Father God, I pray that by your spirit you will make this time a, a wonderful time of of worshiping you, understanding you better as revealed in your scriptures. Uh, Lord, would you protect this church? May we never drift away from this being the main point of our gathering, that we, we want you to be the point, and we know you as you have revealed yourself to us in and through your word, and so we want all of the gifts of the Spirit to be working in a way that, that reveals you, that we may glorify you, that we may worship you with all of our beings. And so do that this morning as we look at your word. It's in Christ that we ask these things. Amen. All right, so first we're going to just look at Paul's point. <clears throat> Excuse me, in verses 1 and following, he's going to just make his point right up front. And then I'll just tell you, then we're going to kind of go off into this aside to define some terms. So this first point is really most of the text, and we won't have time to do a whole lot more, but we will get through all of it. But just for the sake of not getting confused... Uh, We're going to look at Paul's point and then make some asides here. So verse 1, he says, pursue love. Here's Paul's point. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He's not against the spiritual gifts. He's just saying earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Reason 4, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Let's just stop there. So here's Paul's point this morning. Prophecy is better than tongues in the church gathering because it is understandable and it builds up the body. That's Paul's point. He's saying, look, there's, there's a lot of tongues going on in our service. And he says, look, prophecy is better than tongues because we understand prophecy and that builds us up. And so to understand what Paul's saying, let's define the terms. We're going to look at tongues and prophecy. And once we kind of get clear on what, what, what are we talking about here, then when you go through and read the text, it really kind of opens up and it's, it, it's pretty straightforward because he, he kind of explains it all. So, first of all, what does he mean when he says speaking in tongues? Well, the word, the Greek word under that word that we translated in our, most of our scriptures as tongues literally is languages. That, that's, I, I think it'd be a lot easier for us if that was actually the translation, if it was language. And so that we would go, okay, um, So tongues simply means language. Let's start with that basic understanding. But we still need to go deeper and understand what Paul means when he's referring to this act of speaking in tongues. And to understand it, we want to get a a biblical uh, survey of the use of tongues. And so we'll start in, guess what book? Genesis. That's right. 
Everything begins in Genesis. So we'll start in Genesis, and, he, and what we see is before sin entered the world, how many languages were there? One. There was one tongue. In this picture of the ideal in the garden, God's people worshipped God with one tongue, with one language. And it was a, a glorious scene where God was in their midst, revealing his will to them, and as they enjoyed him fully and obeyed him, it was the perfect, perfect picture of God's people bringing glory to God as they enjoyed him and all his blessings and they worshiped him un, unhindered and with one tongue. And then sin entered the world and sin started just spreading and growing rampant throughout the world. And then they, we see the Tower of Babel scene. And this is the whole idea of where the tongues were confused. And it was because they were getting really good at sinning. And God said, all right, to slow down the rampant spread of sin, I'm going to confuse their languages. And so from that point on, the world no longer spoke one language, one, one tongue of worshiping God. And so God, though, in his grace, didn't say, leave them to their own. He says, now I'm going to restore what was in the garden. And we see God's plan begin to take effect throughout Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, throughout all the way to the end of the Bible. And what we see God's plan has always been is that there will be one day again where all of God's people are on a new heavens and a new earth, completely restored, completely new. And God's people will all worship God again with one tongue, with one language. It, it will be people from every tongue of every tribe of every nation will be in the presence of God, worshiping him in one language. But how did that come about? How has God begun that process? Well, he began by making himself known to people. This is your Old Testament. Through the people of Abraham or Israel. And they spoke primary language, we would say Hebrew. And so in the Old Testament, to come to know God... To worship God was to join those people, the people of Abraham, the people who said the creator God of Genesis is our God and he is the one true God and we worship him and him alone and we do this as a community in our language. And so in that sense, there was a one language to worship God in the Old Testament. It was to become a part of the Hebrew people or the Israelites. And so God was graciously restoring the ideal scene of worshiping God in one language before sin. And so God began with the language of the Jews. But let me stop now and transition from tongues to prophecy and understand what prophecy is. In the Old Testament, God then began to send what we understand as the scripture calls the prophets. Now, when we think of the prophets of the Old Testament, we oftentimes think of prophecy being foretelling the secrets of the future almost like a fortune teller or something that's not the most biblical understanding though parts of their message was revealing future events the real way to understand what a prophet was they said thus saith the lord they were god's mouthpiece to the people god and most of what they said to the people in the old testament was Read your Bibles. The first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy was the very first Bible to the people of Israel that Moses gave them. God's prophet Moses gave them the sacred writings of those first five books that we still have today, the very beginning of your Bible. And the prophet's message was, read your Bibles, obey God's word, or bad times are coming. God will discipline you for your rebellion. And that was the call. They would, he would also encourage, the prophets would also, thus says the Lord, good news, God has not given up on you. He will send a Messiah. And, but you should repent and be restored. And there were some messages that did include, here's how God's future looks like. God will send a Messiah and one day he will restore all his people to worship him in one language on a new created earth. And so you see there's different aspects of the message of the prophets. It was accountability to the word of God. It was encouragement towards the word of God. And it was enlightening or understanding God's will and God's plan. And so that's really how we need to think about it. So here's, here's a definition of prophecy based on these biblical prophets that I think is very helpful as we think about, come back to our text, and Paul says, I'd rather you prophesy. So here's what prophecy is. Prophecy is a God-inspired message to encourage and or warn God's people, to heed God's word, and to help them understand God's divine plan. So that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is a God-inspired message to either encourage or hold accountable to the word of God and to, to, to heed the warnings of God's word and to understand God's divine plan. That's what prophecy is, a God-inspired explanation and exhortation of the word of God, what I'm doing right now. So with this in mind, we come to the New Testament as God's mission has been accomplished we get to the New Testament and we see a new day, a new season with the advent of Christ coming. Christ came. He was God born in flesh. He took on flesh in order to enter into our sufferings to give himself as the sacrifice for our sins. He was buried. He was buried for three days. He rose again, resurrected, and then he ascended to the, hand, to the right hand of the Father. And as he did, he gave his presence in the form of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God indwelling his people in a new way for a new day. And at the day of Pentecost, we see what that new day is. As Jews were, had been dispersed all across the globe, they came back into Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost, a great day that focused on the, the blood of the Lamb that makes us right with God. And so you had... Jews who spoke all different languages from all over the world gathered together in Jerusalem and God did amazing thing. By the spirit of God, he enabled his disciples, and this is in Acts chapter two, to proclaim, quote, the mighty works of God. As, quote, as the spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so what was going on? They were speaking the proclaiming the mighty acts of God the mighty works of God as the spirit gave them utterances and the rest of the text explains and everybody was able to understand in their own language so all these Jews from all different languages came not speaking the language of the 
the primary language of the disciples. But when they spoke, as the Spirit gave them utterance, they were able to hear it in their own foreign language. And so this is the base understanding of tongues. Speaking in tongues is this. It's the Spirit-empowered spirit ability to proclaim the mighty works of God in a language you don't understand. That's, that's what it is, is, is if I was on the mission field, and I have had the great privilege by God's calling to, to proclaim the works of God on four continents, North America, South America, Africa, and Asia. And all of those, except for North America, and sometimes in North America, we still need a translator when I'm speaking, but in all the others, a translator is needed to understand what I'm saying. And God in his grace has always provided a human translation, a translator to take whatever I'm saying and make it understandable in their language. Now, if that was not available, and I have always said, Lord, when I'm in Africa and I'm proclaiming and I'm seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people standing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, whatever you need, do it to make them clearly understand the gospel. And if God gave the gift of tongues at that moment, I would say praise the Lord. He is certainly able to do that if that's what's needed. It's never happened. I've always had it. He's, he's done another miracle. He's provided a human who was able to translate so that they could understand. But I think this helps us to begin to understand a basic foundation of the idea of speaking in tongues and prophecy. Now let me make a further comment about the direction and then we will be back on track here. So the direction of tongues and prophecy, I think it's important. Speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues or languages, a foreign language, is a message primarily we see spoken to God. This is important. So speaking tongues is primarily the direction is towards God, to God, proclaiming the works of God to God. Proclaiming praise to God to God. Prophecy is primarily a message spoken to others and it's from God. So prophecy is primarily from God to man. Tongues is from man to God. Speaking in tongues is primarily from man to God, and prophecy is primarily, primarily from God to man. All right, so with those definitions in place, let's go back and read verse 1. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy or proclaim the scriptures, encouragement from the scriptures. For one who speaks in a tongue... Praise or prayer from a foreign language, in a foreign language. One who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. Notice the audience is the ones around listening going, we don't understand what he's saying. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. That's fine. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. I think it starts to get clear once you understand the definition of the terms of the term. So Paul's point is basically pursue love, desire the gifts, but especially prophesy, proclaim the word of God. Make sure that you are building the body up with explanation, instruction, encouragement, and conviction from the scriptures. And then you say, okay, well, I got a question. And this was a friend's question a couple of weeks ago. We're not going to call her name out again. I just hammered her last week and felt guilty all week. This is interesting because in chapter 12, Paul spent a lot of energy telling us, no gift is better than the other. You're all on the same ground. Why are you so obsessed with this one gift? And he does all that. And then he has chapter 13, love is this and that. And then he gets to chapter 14 and he says, prophecy is better. Try to be prophesying because you're greater if you prophesy than if you speak in tongues. And so we're finally going to get to that. So how can he do that? What is he doing? Well, the the main point is when you gather in the body. What he's saying is when the church is gathered, this is what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on prophecy, not tongues. Why? Because it's helpful. Because prophecy, the word of God, instruction in the word is helpful to build up the body. And speaking in tongues isn't. Unless you have a translator. And he says, now, if you have a translator, then that turns it into kind of prophecy, and that's helpful. And we'll get into that in just a second. So what is Paul's point? He's saying when the church comes together, the real focus of our gathering should be on proclaiming the word of God. The the God-inspired warnings and encouragement and explanation from God's word. And in a culture that is trying to shift the focus of gatherings, we need to hear this message. We need to be always a people of God's word, focused on knowing Christ as he's revealed in his word. Focused on obeying Christ. And so, what this, some quick implications. What this tells us, first of all, is that it's very challenging to imagine a situation where speaking in tongues in the large gathering goes well. That's really what Paul is saying. That that should be the exception, not the norm. It's very. If you think about the implications of what he's saying, is first of all, a person must be convinced and convicted that God has given them a prayer or praise of the mighty acts of God, and they're convinced this is God, not not them just not their emotions and not just getting excited, but they're convinced that God has said, "I want you to say this out loud." That's one level of difficulty is someone's got to be convinced of that so as they're not going to be a destruction and it's not some whim that person must also be convinced that God has provided a translator in the room without advanced knowledge that all this was going to go down they've got to also get to a level of certainty that if God is going to give me this then God's also provided a translator in the room and that that translator will be convinced that this is a translation from God and I'm about to open my mouth in front of all these people because God has told me what this language what this uh, tongue means and if they're willing and able to obey that so there's a lot of parts that must be in place for us and then if that goes down it has to go down in an orderly manner 
that honors God. And then we all have to say what they say was just said. Does that measure up with what the scriptures say? Which, by the way, I have very clearly right here. And so it's really not something that we should be focused on. Having said that, Paul says things, earnestly desire the spirits, the spirit, spiritual gifts, earnestly desire that. And Paul says, look, I speak in more, tongues more than all y'all. And he says, look, that's great. So he doesn't condemn it. He says, this is a good thing. But I think the point is, in the worship gathering, this is probably not the primary place for that. And so with a culture that has lots of ideas on on some crazy things that that just I don't even need to to talk about, just things that are supposedly evidence of spiritual, of spirit, it's just not godly. It doesn't honor God. Also, it grieves me to say this. I don't take pride in this, but it grieves me to say that I have had many people come through Connection Group and thanking us passionately for being a church that preaches the word, i.e., we have had a hard time finding this in Shreveport. Now, there are out there. I'm not slamming every church in Shreveport, but it's happened enough for me to say, what is going on in the churches that they're not teaching the Bible? That is, has to be our focus. That's how we know Jesus. That's how we are equipped to worship Jesus and to live for Jesus. So we need to always be a people focused on knowing Jesus through his word. And we need to pray for that in our city. And we need to pray that churches will be biblical. We need to plant that in our city. We need to be a part of the solution. Not sitting here taking pride and saying, hey, we're better than anybody, but to say, God's word must be spread throughout this city. And that's why we have a vision to be replanting and planting churches very shortly. So that's the point. Focus on proclaiming the word of God. Don't let anything else distract us from that. And then he makes the point, applies the point, or, or, or highlights the point with these analogies. Look at verse 6. We see the analogies. He said, now, brothers, I come to you speaking. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I, bring, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, if they do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If, your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. It it makes sense now when you read it, doesn't it? Because you know exactly what he's saying. He says, well, if no one understands it, it doesn't build anybody up. And he's making the analogy with instrument. If I grab Lana's fiddle, 
That's what it is. She told me the difference between a violin and a fiddle. A violin is this, a fiddle is this. If you do that, it's a fiddle. She does that. So she plays the fiddle, and, and every time you pick it up, if I picked up the fiddle and just started playing, I, not, we're not going to worship. It's unintelligible. No one understands. There is no distinct note in there. It's just noise, a noisy gong or cymbal. I may get this part right, but that's the only part I'll get right. But when someone who is skilled in it and knows and plays distinct notes, it's a beautiful thing that enhances worship. The bugle was a call to bear arms. We're about to charge, get, get the soldiers ready. But if someone just said, you know, everybody's going, what was that? You know, nobody's getting ready for war. But if they play the right notes, then it was a way of communicating far away where you wouldn't be able to hear me screaming, get ready for battle or charge, you could hear it through distinct notes that was communicating like words, here's a message. And so he says, this is the way I want you to think about what's going on in the service. If whatever's going on in here isn't intelligible and building you up and helping you understand Jesus and his word for you, then that's not what should be going on in here. So he says, so in these, uh, in these instructions, Paul presumes something. He presumes that you and I can control it if we feel the urge. That's something I learned and thought about this. Okay, so if someone who feels uh, they have the gift of speaking in tongues, what do they do? Well, if they're in the church, then they can control it. They can control volume. They can control whether they do it or not. And Paul says, I want you to control it. I want the norm to be about the word of God. So finally, Paul makes two applications of his point. Again, his point is focus on the word of God. I'd rather the Corinthian church, I'd rather us focus on the word, prophecy versus tongues. And then he made the analogy, distinct notes are helpful, unintelligible notes are not. And now he's going to apply it in two places, to believers and to unbelievers. In thirteen nineteen, he applies it to believers. He's therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He says, my mind, my mind, my mind, my mind. Engage your mind is what he is saying. If I speak in tongues, but my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. So he's emphasizing the engagement of the mind for intelligible understanding and edification. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? How can someone who doesn't understand the language say amen? Amen means yes, let it be, agree. So if they don't understand, how can they say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are even saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough But the other person is not being built up. And then he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. In other words, I'm not hammering. That's not all bad. It's just not in here. That's not the focus. He's nevertheless in church, in the gathering. I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so he says it just pretty clear. He's not saying it's all bad. There, obviously, 
It's too much to cover in these verses, but he's saying the point is, whatever's going on, we should be able to say, amen, that's right, praise the Lord, because I understand it and I see what the Bible is saying. And that makes me worship Jesus. So where is the place for tongues? Primarily in private worship. Primarily, and, and now it's kind of been dubbed a prayer language. It's a language that God gives some to praise and proclaim the mighty works of God in a language they themselves don't understand. Also, the mission field. To be able to proclaim the mighty works of God in a language I don't understand, but the language that they understand that they might come to know Christ. I think those are two very appropriate places for that gift if you have that. So it's not saying, shame on you for having it. It's a bad thing. It's just saying, know its proper place. Paul's focus is on the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 says this about the word of God. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able, the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped, for every good work. So the word of God is what we need. We want something spiritual. How about the word of God? The spirit of God enabled men to write down God's word for us to understand with a clear language that is very helpful for all of us. When I'm preaching, the spirit of God is giving much help. The spirit is giving the gifts of prophecy even as we speak. It, the Spirit is enabling you to understand divine truths that are not understandable by the human mind. If you don't have the Spirit of God working in you through the proclamation of the Word of God, you say, that's dumb. Blood of veins, that's weird. But if the Spirit of God is giving you understanding, it is life. When I preach, let you in on a little secret, I do my best to have no surprises when I stand up in here. I've studied, I've prayed, God give me understanding, God write it out, a manuscript, I preach it in my head so many times through, through manuscripting it and writing it, and God has just given me new stuff, and I'm looking the scriptures, oh wow, and then I, I hope it's done before I get here, but it rarely is. I can tell you many times as I'm preaching the word and I'm saying it, I'm going, wow, that's interesting. I did not connect those dots as much as I tried before I got in here. It's a little scary because I'm like, oh, that is right, right? That's Jesus. That's God, right? Most of it is untangled and clear, but there are times where I say things that I know that was from God. And I also know he's doing that in you because a lot of times after the service, you come, brother, that blessed me. And I'm like, good. And then you start talking about what you said. I'm going, is that what you heard? I'm like, that's not what I said. But I'm like, I think that's scriptural, so that's good. You know, the Lord takes it and uses it and gives you uh, application and encouragement and conviction that is unique for you. That's the gift of prophecy. That's the spirit giving understanding. 
I think in small groups, this would be the ideal small group that as we have prayerfully studied the word of God, if we would all come to group having really spent a lot of time prayerfully studying the word and benefited from the teaching of the word and thoughts on the word, and then we came to group, just a small manageable group, and we were prayerfully working through that text, and God was giving this person this understanding, that person that understanding. We were all building each other up. Oh, yeah, and you know what God taught me? And oh, my goodness. Yeah, let's put that together. Look what he's saying. Look at Jesus. That is small group. That's community. That's what we want. But we're sinners. It's okay. I'm not beating you over the head. We're trying. Every week, we're trying. But that's the goal, is the Spirit giving gifts of prophecy and understanding that we might all go look at Jesus. And it changes our lives. So the Spirit of God working, Paul says, intelligible ways to believers. But then he goes to unbelievers. Look what he says, excuse me. Then he goes to unbelievers in verse 20 through 25. We don't have to be a seeker-focused service. If we are focused on this, look what happens if an unbeliever enters the worship service. He says in verse 20, Brothers, do not be children or immature in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of straying tongues and the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. There's a lot there that I just don't have time, but the idea of being Gentiles, of proclaiming back to those, uh, to the Jews, will not, sometimes will sadly not even then respond. But thus tongues are a sign, he says in verse uh, 22. Tongues are a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in foreign tongue, foreign languages, everyone's speaking a foreign language, and an outsider or an unbeliever enters, what will happen to them then? Will they not say, y'all are crazy? That's what he says. I don't know what's going on here, but this is crazy. That's not what we want to do. That's not, ooh, look how spiritual. Paul's saying, that's got to stop. That's not glorifying God. Y'all are out of your mind. Stop that. And so he says, but if everyone is describing that, just think about that community group and there's a guest in your community group. If everyone is saying, oh, look what the Lord says here. Oh, wow, yeah, and, and there's learning, and Jesus is being magnified, and people are just being blown away by God and his word and how he's revealed himself. He says, that guest, is he not then convicted by all? And he's called to account by all. And the secret, secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God. And declare, God is really among you. When guests come in here and they hear the word of God and the spirit is giving an understanding and you are connected with the Lord through the word and through song, it is a powerful testimony to an unbeliever. That is how we reach them. We don't say, well, let's not talk about the gospel. Let's play secular music because we want them to be comfortable. No, we want to worship God 
And as God is magnified, hearts are convicted. And that's what we want to see happen. So here, Paul is contrasting the scene of an unbeliever entering a church where everyone is speaking foreign languages versus proclaiming the word of God. And clearly the better scene is where the emphasis is on proclaiming Jesus as revealed in his scriptures and the secrets of our hearts are laid bare. The spirit is convicting all of us. So we need to be careful that this church always focuses on the word of God and proclaiming Jesus, whether it's spiritual gifts that are starting to distract or cultural shifts that are starting to happen. You hold us accountable. You encourage us. That's what this place must always be about, glorifying God through his word. Let's pray. Lord, help us remain faithful to what you're teaching us in your word. Help us to be all about Jesus and revealing the good news. I pray, Lord, this morning as we have proclaimed the gospel in several parts of this message, it's been made clear that God only accepts sinners based solely on the blood and righteousness of Jesus not on our own merits. And so anyone here today this morning, Lord, anyone that listens to this message on recording later, I pray that you will use the prophecy, the gift of prophecy, the gift of spirit-enabled proclamation of your word to convict of the need for a savior, the need for Jesus' righteousness, which is received as a gift by faith in Christ. Bring, bring us all closer to you. Bring people to salvation. Glorify your name in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So having said all that, I come back to the early question. What do you point to to say, I am spiritual. Is it a spiritual gift? Is it what you put in the plate? Is it how much Bible you know? The greatest of these is love. Do you have the love of Christ flowing from you? Let me get a little more personal. If Jesus was trolling your Twitter account, if Jesus was scrolling through your Facebook page, what he reads, do you think he's pleased with reading how you beat someone over the head with a Bible verse? Do you think he's pleased with spitting venom at a political party or a political candidate or a person on the opposite side of you because you think you're more biblical? The Lord is not pleased with truth absent love. I'm not saying compromise. We don't compromise the truth, but we don't beat people with the Bible. 
no matter how right you are, if you say it without love, you are dead wrong. I don't want that for us. Jesus doesn't want that for us. Jesus wouldn't post like that. He met the woman in the city that was cast out for her sin, and he spoke the truth, but he did it with love. May we be the most loving people on the planet. May we have the most loving post. Stand for truth, but please do it with love. Father, I pray that we will be loving. We can only do this by your grace. We can only represent you as we know you. And we know you through the the things that we do up here, like reading your Bible and praying and seeking you and singing about you and serving. And as we do that, Lord, I pray that your spirit would work on us and make us like you, patient and kind and gracious, merciful, slow to anger, slow to speak, not trampling, not, resent, not resentful, but that we would die to self to serve others, speaking the truth with great love. Lord, we want this place to be loving so that your glory, your love, so that people see you and want to come to know you. Lord, we know that nobody comes to faith by us beating over the head with truth, but like you saved us, you were kind and merciful to us that we might repent. So I pray, Lord, in this highly charged political climate that we would be kind, patient, that people might come to know you as Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.